0: So we come to the book of the prophet Jonah. I've stuck at the top of each of my pages of notes, but Jonah ran away. I think it's on the top of most of the slides that we're going to see on the screen this morning as well. Um, I'd like to recommend books. I think people should read uh, Christians. They have never lived in an age like this for literature. Good Christian literature. A book I've been using uh, over the past couple of weeks, is this book? It's a commentary. It's on Jonah. For those who read like something very chewy, to chew over. Uh, it's by a man called Hugh Martin. You'll not never meet him or hear him because he's dead. Uh, he lived in the latter half of the eight to, uh, the nineteenth century. He was a minister in Edinburgh, and this is this book has been, according to the inside page, has been on my bookshelf since uh, 1985. <laughs> I'm not very quick at doing things, I only, I've only read, I only read it for the first time. <laughs> I've never really preached much on Jonah uh, uh, over the past couple of weeks and it's a superb book and shows insights that you will not find, you will certainly not find in most of the other books you will read. Uh, another book I've been reading, albeit on Kindle, uh, is by Tim Keller who was the minister of Redeemer Church, Presbyterian Church in New York. I think it was last year he died uh, but wrote many, many books. And he has a little book entitled Prodigal, uh, Prodigal Prophet. And he actually refers on a number of occasions to Hugh Martin uh, in, in his text. And they're both very helpful. Tim Keller's is much easier uh, to read. So, uh, come listen to, you know this song? Come listen to my tale of Jonah and the whale way down in the middle of the ocean. The book of Jonah is a favorite uh, with those who teach children. It's always included in children's Bibles, and the whale is there. And it's interesting how they make them look like blue whales. Uh, You know, when the text actually says it's not a whale, it's a big fish. You know, and there are other big fish apart from uh, whales. But it's a favorite anyway. Uh, With a giant fish, dramatic action generations of children have been gripped by it the problem is that when we grow up because we've got a, we've seen it hurt so much as children's a bit like a number of other bible accounts uh, we leave the story behind we leave it behind always a children's tale was never an adult application The danger is that we begin to support the attitude of many Christians, (laughs) that this is really just a myth, as they would describe other parts of the Bible, a myth to explain spiritual truths. Now, the reality is this, that Jonah is a book for adults. It's not actually for children. It is actually very difficult for children to understand it. And they're the ones who will ask the questions, who will stump you if you give them the chance and you may not have the answers to them. It's for adults especially. It's not about a big fish. The big fish is only mentioned in three verses out of four chapters. It's almost by the way. If we can't believe in this miracle of the sovereign God, uh, then Uh, We may have difficulty believing in the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Actually, uh, we may have a problem with Jesus because in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus confirmed that Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. It's a book of miracles because the Bible is a book of miracles. It's as simple as that. Someone uh, was talking to me about this the other day. I don't know how we managed to get this into the conversation. But anyway, and they said something about, you know, well, do we really, the implication was, do we really believe that Jonah was going to go to Nineveh and they were all just going to sit back and listen to him, the king as well? And the answer is yes, because it was a miracle. And God was sending him there. I don't want to jump the gun several chapters, but Jonah himself said, God, I knew this would happen. I knew that. I knew you would do this. That was his complaint to God. I knew you would do this. You would save these people. It was a miracle. Uh, uh, and Jesus used the, 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 the fact of Jonah's sacrifice as a pointer to his own coming death and resurrection. So what I hope we're going to see is uh, during the course of these weeks, I'm not trying to set a standard. This is the way I see it. And I hope that we're going to see that this book of Jonah is not some piece of light entertainment stuck in the, in, in the Old Testament to lighten up all that gore. But rather, if we read this correctly, this is a singular momentous event in Israel's history. And it's a relevant, uh, oh so relevant challenge to the modern church 2,800 years later. Four things which I will try to run through because time's like Jonah and it's running away. <clears throat> the first thing is, is this. We need to see, it's really all background. That's why I'm dealing with sort of verse one, two, and into three, ending with, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. We need to see the collapse of true religion. in Israel. We need to see where Jonah was coming from. You cannot understand this book unless you know where he's coming from. Where he's coming from is the key to why he behaved the way he did. This is an account of an historical event. It's not a myth, we said that. Jonah is a real prophet from the history of Israel. His preaching ministry was during the 8th century before Christ. And that's at the 700s. If you, you know, different experts date these people at slightly different times. I never really quote dates because... You'll find that everybody doesn't agree. Uh, but it was around the same time as Elisha and Amos and Hosea. And the only other reference to Jonah in the Old Testament is in 2 Kings chapter 14, through from verses 23 to 25, where uh, Jonah delivers the word of the Lord to King Jeroboam II of Israel. This is the northern kingdom of Israel. It's been split up. Encouraging the king to extend the borders to go to war and extend the borders of Israel, which Jeroboam the second duly did, and Israel won. They won the wars and they extended their kingdom. It, it, Israel was almost having a, a return slightly to the glory days under this king, but all was not well, and that's why we've got that verse just up because this is the background. This is the background from which comes Jonah. In 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 24, we read thus of the king. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. That's Jeroboam the first. This is very confusing, isn't it? That's Jeroboam the first. He was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon and then when Rehoboam took over the throne Solomon's son Jeroboam also uh, rebelled against him and this is the first Jeroboam Jeroboam the first which he caused Israel to commit now that's very important. Because you will listen to people talk about Jonah and they will go on about how he wouldn't go to Nineveh and how he went into the fish and God was patient with him. You learn lots about God and you do learn lots about God. And then he went and he preached to them and the Ninevites uh, repented and and, uh, so on. But nobody ever seems to answer the question, why did he not go? Why would he not go to Nineveh? And the background from which he comes gives us the answer. We'll get there momentarily. If we go back even further into 1 Kings chapter 12, we find that that original Jeroboam, Jeroboam I, set up a rival religion to that of Judah, the southern kingdom. The people were to worship God. Now they were to worship the God of Israel. They hung on to this. They hung on to this. They were to worship the God of Israel through golden calves at the high places called Dan and Bethel. Dan was in the north, Bethel uh, was in the south. And they were to worship God in these places, these these golden calves, under a copycat priesthood and and copycat festivals. These were the sins that still existed in Israel at the time of Jonah. In fact, they still existed in the time of Jesus. Because the northern kingdom. Became known as Samaria. Whom the Jews hated. The sins. That, these were the sins that molded the attitudes of the people. While claiming the privileges of God's covenant to Abraham. Covenant with Israel. Their religion was not one of faith. But of cold formalism empty ceremonies, self-righteous pride and arrogance. This was the kingdom of Israel. This was the kingdom, if we may use uh, the words of John the Baptist when he was uh, speaking to the Pharisees, he said to them, you say we have Abraham as our father. They were hypocrites. And the Israelites would have said exactly the same thing. We have Abraham as our father. And that is enough. We have this lineage. We're good. But what they had done was moved away from true belief in the God of Israel. And when you do that. You and I will do it even as they did it. You become inward looking and self-centered. Only Faith through Jesus Christ in the living God keeps us outward-looking because he's an outward-looking God and an outward-looking Savior. Having moved away from true belief in God, they became inward-looking. They became self-centered and self-righteous. The world outside Israel was looked upon as sort of beneath them. They were the people. They were exclusive. And God had no interest in the rest of humanity. There are people in the Christian church who think that as well today. But actually, they were denying what we've been singing about here this morning. They were denying that God was sovereign over the nations. They were saying he is our God and he's interested in us. What they were saying was he is limited to their nation alone. And when he sent prophets, the prophets were to talk to them. What they had actually done in the northern kingdom of Israel was that they had reduced the living God to no more than the local gods of their neighbors. Uh, It's interesting, one of the few places where I'm mentioning Jonah this morning, that down in verse 5, the sailors were afraid when the storm struck. And the sailors cried out, each to his own God. Probability is that these sailors came from all sorts of different localities, and they all had their own little gods. And that's exactly what Israel had reduced the living God to, their own personal deity. What they had done in the northern kingdom of Israel was they had imbibed they had imbibed the very views of the paganism that surrounded them theirs was a case of collapse of the true religion that's the first thing second thing is this we need to consider then following that what I've called in the second place covenant neglect in Israel Uh, we're not going to go into all the details of the covenant uh, with, with Abraham. But the specific aspect, the covenant with Abraham was being ignored, but the specific aspect of the covenant, which they were blind to and was showing itself in, in this situation, uh, in, in their history and in the life of Jonah was that the Lord said to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's what's missing. That's what's gone astray. It's been cut out of their thinking. We know this to mean that through, that's in the New Testament, we know this to mean that through Abraham's family line would come the Messiah, a guy called Jesus. And through the gospel of his birth and death and resurrection and alone through that gospel men and women from every nation on earth no matter who they were, Ninevites or otherwise would believe in him and be saved from their sin and obtain eternal life. They of course didn't know the final outworking of this part of the covenant promise but they should have known and you and I should know They should have known that God's plan for a special people included all of the nations. We've got this kind of mixed up in in our understanding of the Bible. They should have known that God's plan for a special people included all the nations. Israel alone was never in the divine mind. Israel alone was never, never, ever part of, Of the plan of God for salvation. No. No. To be contained in a piece of land in the Middle East. Was never the deal. That was a temporary thing. And it was taken off them. By the various empires that came along and destroyed it. When the Lord returns it's not going to be. To a little bit of holy land in the Middle East. It will be to planet earth and the whole wide world. Because that's where he reigns. That's where he reigns. So, So, this was never in the mission of God to have this little people all by themselves. But they were blind to this. They were blind to their responsibility to take the good news of the living God of Israel to the nations. Now, the sad thing is, and this is the point, so was Jonah. So was Jonah. What we have in Jonah is a man loyal to his culture more than to his God and his covenant. That takes us to the third thing. Let me move on quite quickly. The third thing, I've just called it cultural thinking. Patriotic prophet. Tim Keller, I think it is, among other descriptions, calls Jonah the patriotic prophet prophet that's apart from calling him the prodigal prophet he is all these names but that's what the people that's what the people would have thought of of jonah jonah was a good guy he was a prophet from god and he spoke to the people in the nation of israel that's what the people would have thought about he's a good patriot he's a good israelite he's god's man uh, for us we're given very few details about jonah we know where he came from And he was a prophet. But that's probably because everybody in Israel knew who he was. This was his job. He's a minister. Everybody in the community knew exactly who he was. It was his job to bring the word of the Lord to the people. Albeit a wayward people. He probably expected to spend his whole ministry calling the Israelites to repentance. And boy did they need it. Calling them back to the Lord just like the other prophets did. And it would have been a great shock. To the arrogant people to find out that he was going to the enemy to preach. This is a bit like someone said, a Jewish rabbi in 1941 going out into Berlin and preaching to them and calling the Germans, the Nazis, to repentance. This is what it was going to be like going to Nineveh. He was going to preach to the enemy. Sure, the Lord has no interest in Ninevites, was the mindset of Israel. It was cro- probably quite a shock to Jonah uh, as well. Not because he was afraid. Not because he wasn't qualified. We, we mentioned before, he, he said to God, I knew this would happen. He knew that if God sent him to Nineveh, to Nineveh, something would happen. Nor did he fear it would be a waste of time. But because he knew that his ministry would be successful, that's why he wouldn't go not weird. This is going to be successful, so I'm not going. I'm not going. He knew they would repent and the Lord would forgive their wickedness and there would be spiritual revival uh, in Nineveh. So what was his problem? Why would he not go? Because the patriotic prophet was just that. He was molded by the society He was molded by the culture in which he lived. The spiritual air he breathed in Israel had molded his thinking. He suffered from a cultural infection. He had forgotten that the people of God had to be counter-cultural. That's you and me as well. We need to be different. We can't allow ourselves to be carried along by the society and the culture that we breathe in every day. They had to be countercultural in their thinking and in their way of life and in their purpose of mission in life. He nursed the same prejudices as his people. An attitude of stern, cold, religious self-righteousness which incorporated bigotry, intolerance, and pride. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was spiritually shallow. Faith, skin deep. Skin deep. We can even see that in in the boat. Let me just share this with you. You can see that in the boat on his way to Tarshish. He stayed as far away from the unclean sailors as he could. He went right down into the the bowels of the boat and and fell asleep. And when the captain asked him to pray, there seems to have been silence. Only when the lot is cast, only when God makes him find out and the entire crew confront him, do we see a response from him. To a list of questions, we haven't time to go over them, but to a list of questions where only the last one asked him. Down there uh, uh, in verse 8, I think it is, yes. From what people are you? What people do you come from? What does Jonah answer? Jonah answers the last question on the list of questions first. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. That's like you going to a... Jehovah's Witnesses said, I'm a Presbyterian. So? So? What does that mean? I'm a Baptist. So? Doesn't count for anything. Doesn't count for anything. So, I'm a Hebrew. He identifies himself first as a Hebrew. And this appears to be what was uppermost in his mind, important to him. So when loyalty to his people and loyalty to the word of God seemed to be in conflict, he chose to support the nation overtaking God's love and message and grace to a different society. Own people before preaching and proclamation. I put it to you, that is the only reason you can find for him running away. Makes sense. He didn't want the enemy to repent because they were the enemy. This sounds like a very familiar problem in what claims to be God's people. And finally, in the fourth place, where time's well gone, it presents a real challenge to the church. By church, I mean both the church as a body, and Christian individuals it does seem as if we tack our religion onto our culture which is more important to us it doesn't matter whether you're talking about our culture in society or our private family culture or our work culture call it whatever culture you like we tack our religion onto it don't we To that which is most important to us our relationship with God through Jesus Christ very often doesn't seem to go very deep into it It doesn't mean we're not Christians just doesn't go very deep we believe Jesus died for our sins and yet our lives revolve far more around our educational achievements our careers our leisure our financial worth than in the love of God through Christ Jonah had to learn that this situation cannot be with God's people. For it doesn't honour the Lord and it certainly does not advance the kingdom. He had to learn that and so must we. I wonder, should we not see in Jonah's deep sleep below the deck in the midst of a serious storm as an image of his spiritual sleep? I wonder if he really didn't fully understand how much of an effect his culture was having on his ministry. Brethren, that is one of the purposes of church, of being in a fellowship, of being under teaching ministry, of being in in Bible study groups and, and praying together. It is so that we can help each other identify how the culture in which we live is affecting our belief in Jesus and our practice of life in Jesus. And embarrassingly from Jonah, it was going to take some very pagan sailors, whom he doubtless looked down on as scum, to waken him out of his darkness. Isn't that amazing? The people whom he didn't want to preach to, preached to him. Now I wonder, to finish with, I wonder if we examined ourselves and our churches, would we find ourselves sleeping below decks, hiding from God, entangled by our, our, our cultural preferences, our likes and dislikes, on the run from our Lord and Saviour. Maybe this visit to Jonah's experience over these weeks will provide the great uh, captain of our salvation, shall we call him, the opportunity to waken us up to the reality of the work he has for us to do. As we were talking to boys and girls about. If we are truly saved by the grace of That we have been singing about. Let me just read uh, the first verse again to finish with. Changing it slightly. The word of the Lord came to the people of Ravenhill. Go to the great world out there and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But the people of Ravenhill, it just says dot, dot, dot on my page because the people of Ravenhill need to answer that themselves. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this account of this prophet of yours, a man of God who just got it wrong and yet was still a man of God. We we appreciate, Lord, that in your patience, Uh, wherever we seem to be going wrong you can put us right and you can bless us and we pray for that today and into the future in Jesus name amen